Hi, I'm Burr Sutter, and this is Code Comments, an original podcast from Red Hat. Now, I've been talking to a lot of customers of late, really talking about their transformational journey, right? What does it mean to have that holistic experience from the world of virtual machines to the world of containers and the world of Kubernetes? Well, you have probably been on that same journey yourself, and I think it's super interesting to be drilled down on that topic. Because if you think about some of our larger customers here at Red Hat, some of them are in highly regulated and security conscious organizations. I mean, things like big government, big insurance, big finance, big banking. All of those organizations have very special needs where they do want to increase their security posture, increase availability around their applications, including reliability, but at the same time, achieve greater agility. And that is a tough thing to overcome, to basically have all those requirements working hand in hand and delivering a better solution. Well, the good news is we're not alone in helping organizations to navigate these challenges. On today's episode of Code Comments, I talked to Matt Quill. He's the strategic business development manager over at our partner F5. And Matt has a ton of experience in this exact same area, helping customers transform and move along their journey from virtual machines to containers. Matt, welcome to the podcast. I look forward to our conversation today. Great to be here. Thank you very much. Well, it is absolutely fantastic to have you because I know F5, of course, is integral and implemented throughout many of our mutual customers, both at Red Hat and F5. The thing I want to dive into is what we hear from all our customers right now, and that is the modernization journey, right? Everyone wants to talk about that keyword modernization. They all think we got to leave these VMs behind. We got to move to the cloud. We got to move to containers. Can you tell me a little bit about how you think about that space, that move from VMs to containers? One of the things that I do in my job, and I've been privileged to do, is that we do have a lot of customer contact where we can sort of understand needs and drivers and what really matters, right? So we see a couple of different trends going on in sort of the IT space. One is the transition to the hyperscalers, AWS, Azure, GCP is happening quite often. Uh, But there's also uh, the challenge of things like shadow IT. Right. So at the departmental level, people say, hey, I don't want to go through the traditional IT processes, write tickets, you know, have the infrastructure get stood up, have it take hours, days, weeks, months to get everything up and ready and going. I want quick time to value because obviously time is money. So they move to the cloud, which becomes difficult to manage and kind of becomes unwieldy in many respects because you have your central IT who has their security policies. They have processes in place and they're using those processes or applying those processes, especially at the security level within the public cloud as well, and trying to sort of set up these hybrid cloud architectures. So the driver is really for IT organizations, internal IT organizations to have the agility of like one of the hyperscalers. So for example, bang, I can stand up the infrastructure, I can test it, I can test my code more rapidly and then roll my applications to production or my changes to production in a a rapid manner without being disruptive, but doing so while maintaining a very hardened security posture. And one of the things that we find in talking to customers is that there's this aspiration to be more agile, right? They have to. Uh, be more agile because of the emergence of, of public cloud, because of the real demands on their business, sort of increased time to value. But the challenge is that they, if they're in highly regulated in- industries, you know, the federal government, financial services, telco, they also have to do it really smart. They can't compromise the availability of their applications, especially the security of their applications. And so that's really what drives the conversation. And that's really one of the key reasons why We've seen a lot of adoption of containers, uh, and the overall goal is to be more agile, 
to sort of bring new uh, revenue generating applications into production as quickly as possible, make changes, update, and sort of adopt the Agile methodologies, sort of DevOps, Agile, what have you, but do so in a way that is very responsible because obviously there's risk involved in, in moving fast. So I find, you know, OpenShift especially is that platform that kind of merges those two desires, you know, at a platform level, and F5 can sort of help. So the goal is to sort of get stuff into production, make changes, updates, patches, what have you, to that code, but do so in a responsible manner. And I find with Red Hat, both, you know, the automation play with Ansible and OpenShift are kind of key enabling tools for enterprises, especially those enterprises in verticals that are need to maintain their security posture, uh, have, have started to adopt. Well, I got to tell you, Matt, this has started off very well. We have a lot to unpack here. I think I could spend the next four hours talking to you about these kinds of things. And I can tell you one of the things I often do when I'm talking to audiences about that cloud native journey, microservices, and the evolution of their organization, including the cultural change, the agile process adoption, things like CICD, deployment patterns, blue-green canary. You mentioned availability, right? You mentioned security. Wow, there's a ton of things to dive into. So let's try to let's try to tease some of these things apart. Like, what would you say is one of the most critical missing items or meaning they, the user, the customer just forgot about it, but they had to move to the public cloud. They had to move to containers. They were moving so fast, they just forgot about it. And now was a major problem. Do you have any examples of that? Yeah. So I think that, for example, um, the, the first thing would be scale and performance, right? So item one is I've adopted containers. I need to sort of make them scale and perform. These applications have to perform as well or better than their traditional three-tier VMware-type applications. So that's that's part one. The second one is applications that are mission-critical, right? And, and the aspiration is to sort of move these, you know, refactor and migrate sort of these applications into a containerized environment. And the refactoring is also fairly complex. But then you have to think about, okay, I want these applications to fail over. Uh, I want them to be available. If, for example, they go down on one cluster, I want just the application to be up on the other cluster. Uh, I need potentially regional failover. Disaster recovery business continuity plans need to be taken into account. All of these things need to be considered. And then finally, you know, obviously the big challenge is, is, is security, right? If applications are not secure, if container environments are not secure, if you're uh, not following best practices in terms of security, then you have a lot of problems uh, getting to wide-scale adoption of containers within your environment. I've had one customer that specifically, new to containers, had rolled out an entire Kafka broker in a single pod, and they thought that was going to be okay. <laughs> and of course, when the pod goes down, they couldn't understand why their entire backplane was offline. Right, right. But, you know, so that was definitely a misperception of what it meant to be living inside a container, specifically inside a Kubernetes pod wrapping that container image. And they just didn't understand it. So, so have you seen some examples like that yourself? Yeah. And I've seen sort of one of the, one of the inhibitors to sort of broader adoption of containers has been sort of, first of all, sitting down and, and, and designing it out. Second of all, bringing in your SecOps and NetOps teams, who are typically the people who are going to say, no, we're not going to introduce risk into this environment until we kind of map out how this entire thing works, right? We're not going to change our policies and sort of introduce risk into our environment without doing that. So I find a lot of times with some customers, they're kind of kicking the tires. They've got maybe a couple of applications running, but they're really stuck. Or, and or, they've done 
exactly what you've done, which is they've taken sort of an entire application or entire workflow and put it on one pod, but then they haven't considered all the different things. One of the challenges is these decisions are being driven by application owners, and that's great. But a comprehensive architectural review needs to happen before you start to deploy, because otherwise you're not really going to realize the value of containers if, for example, you don't consider all the different elements of the infrastructure, right? Standing up a Kubernetes cluster, standing up an OpenShift cluster um, is, is fairly easy. I mean, in fact, you can do it on ROSA or RARO in a matter of minutes, right? That's not the challenge. The challenge is now hardening it, scaling it out, making sure that you follow best practices so that these applications are secure and available. You know, whether they fail over across availability zones, let's say in the cloud, or you have a hybrid set up between the public cloud and, and, and your own on-site private cloud, all of these things need to be considered. Availability, failover, security. So if the SecOps and NetOps teams, the security teams and the networking teams are not at the table during the early design phases, that's where the friction comes. And that's where some of the challenges come into scaling out these these environments. I'm totally with you there. I do see that all the time where people have basically just assumed this cloud thing or maybe this Kubernetes or OpenShift thing are just like a magic wand, right? I'm going to just basically throw my applications over there and magic is going to happen. And those illities that you mentioned, I like to refer to them as illities, right? The capabilities and availability and resiliency and, and all the non-functional requirements still have to be met. And that is so critical. So I love that point. And I think we do want to spend some time on that because that is an area where I think our listeners and of course our, our various red hatters as well and people over at F5 have to be thinking about on a regular basis. Right. So let's let's try to delve down into some of those items. Uh, you mentioned customers that have regulatory issues, yep. right? You know, let's say they're a big bank or they're a telco or they basically work you know, for something where the government has said you must have some form of disaster recovery plan. That's a simple example. Right. Some form of failover plan. You can't just go down and be down. Uh, because we will fine you for that. Yep. Can, can you give me some more examples in that space where, you know, that where people might have encountered a problem, failed, suffered, you know, responded? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the first thing, um, the first uh, anecdote I would provide is, is sort of a uh, large scale financial institution that's critical to our economy. Big IP was resident in the environment. And the challenge was really uh, one of performance and scale. Right. So that was part A in this OpenShift deployment. And so we had big IP resident in the environment at scale, given the, the, the complexity and scale and, and size and, and importance of this particular organization. It, it's important. And we implemented something called Container Ingress Services, which is basically an operator that uh, is certified on the OpenShift platform. And it allows basically big IP to sort of have visibility into the message bus, for lack of a better term, of the OpenShift environment so that you can apply your your load balancing policies and the containers will end up in the load balancing pool. You can have visibility into the applications and you can sort of scale and perform as needed. So Big IP can act as Big IP and provide the value that it provides in this uh, OpenShift environment. You mentioned earlier, you can get the telemetry data now, right? So you have visibility into how the load is being, you know, how the load is being distributed, right. if things are being responsive. I assume you also have some form of liveness probe, liveness check in there as well? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Okay. So we have a, a, the nice thing about uh, Big IP and Nginx is we have application-specific monitors that we've spent. F5 has been in business for 25 years. We, we, we know a lot about everything from commercial off-the-shelf products. So we've built specific monitors for like Exchange, Outlook, SharePoint, and things, Exchange, SharePoint, things of like that nature, SAP. But we also can write 
custom monitors and things like that. We have network traffic control language that can sort of provide advanced monitors and things like that. So we have quite a bit of knowledge of the applications themselves. And so rather than just doing like a ping and knowing that the individual device is up, you can actually understand not only is the device or container available, but the application itself is available as well. Right. And that's a huge thing. And I can tell you from uh, teaching basic Kubernetes to numerous developers, thousands and thousands of developers at this point, that the liveness probe and redness probe are one of those things they don't quite get right. They can't fully understand Mm -hmm. how those things operate within a Kubernetes world and why they're so important. So therefore, I can see having additional instrumentation on top of that being incredibly valuable. Absolutely. In a perfect world, we would want to be you know, F5 combined with Red Hat, combined with some of the other players there would want to be there on day one of the conversation when you're having that sort of architectural discussion about sort of your North Star. What are you trying to accomplish with your container deployment? How are you going to deal with all of these different questions about availability, security, you know, failover, all those uh, really critical issues. And let's architect a platform that makes sense so that you can have the agility. You need to go fast. We understand that but go fast in a way that also allows you to sort of maintain your security and availability posture. Another key enabler of that is Ansible. On the Big IP, we have spent tremendous amounts of effort from a product development perspective in building sort of certified collections with Ansible so that you can apply security policies using automation on the Big IP. You can configure Big IPs in a rapid manner, spinning up and scaling your resources flexing, you know, dealing with kind of bursty situations in a rapid manner. Ansible is kind of one of those key enabling tools in combination with OpenShift. Oh, yeah. One of our favorite demonstrations of that kind of capability is when we have advanced cluster management, which, of course, is our multi-cluster manager. And then, of course, we have the concept of a policy and instrumentation where it actually spins up those different OpenShift clusters. And one of the things that happens in that case is use of Ansible, the Ansible Automation Platform, to not only file a ServiceNow ticket to say what it did, but also make sure it updates F5, right, updates Big IP with the new entry so that they now have it within the global load balancer. Right. And this is really where you can sort of combine your security posture, which has to be very hardened, especially with these heavily regulated organizations, but do it in a really fast manner. If you've got everything sort of pre-canned and you've got integration with your ticket, you know, IT ticketing uh, system, like with a ServiceNow, and you can sort of rapidly respond to issues without manual intervention or with limited manual intervention, then you're really starting to adopt Agile, but you're doing it in a responsible way, which is what these organizations have to uh, to do, right? I mean, they have no choice. They have to be fast because obviously they need to be first to market. They need to sort of get the infrastructure stood up because they're, in fact, internal IT organizations are competing with the cloud, but they have to do it in a responsible manner and maintain their security posture. Right. And I think that's probably the core of the story that we have to talk about. And that is this concept of applying policy, procedure, compliance, regulatory rules, being able to do all those things, but still in an agile way that allows the application developer to produce better code, new APIs, new capability, but at the same time, ensure that they're meeting compliance rules, meeting that the, the requirements for security rules, right, as an example. Right. When you're out talking to customers, how would you advise them? Often in many cases, right, the dev is separate from security, which is separate from network, which is separate from ops infrastructure. Right. Right. Often those are four different organizational silos that I've seen. Sometimes there's one silo who's renamed themselves DevOps, but they don't really have any of the other players in the room. (laughs) You know, there's no security people, there's no network people. And in a perfect world, as you start this journey, having those players in the room 
to sort of put together an architectural design and a plan is really critical, I think. More than anything, rather than sort of, you know, the app devs sort of say, hey, let's spin up an OpenShift cluster, kick the tires and see what happens. You really need to be very deliberate in your planning and how you architect it is going to really drive whether or not this is a successful deployment or not. I mean, that is crucially uh, what happens. Having those players or having representatives from each of those teams sort of weigh in and come up with a process of using automation in concert with containers, in concert with the F5 stack or some of the other players in the game, having those key players at the table during the design phase, during the architecture phase, is going to be really important to sort of deploy this stuff at scale. I've witnessed it being done well, uh, but more often than not, I've witnessed it sort of, they deploy it and then they think about how to secure it, scale it and so forth after the fact. Nothing wrong with that, but just be mindful that you're going to need to consider all these different items if you're really going to get to critical mass in terms of your uh, container deployment. And of course, what we just tapped on there is related to cultural change, having those people in the room and especially those people who'd normally like to say no. (laughs) <laughs> no, Absolutely. no, you can't do that. Right. Uh, I think that's so important because I even had one person come to me at one, one point and said, okay, you showed us all these great things you can do in microservices and new application development architecture. And of course, there's all this cool CICD stuff and all these agile things and DevOps, but XYZ says no. And I asked that person a simple question. I said, when's the last time you went to lunch with that person? Right. And you could tell I, I shocked them. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I bet they eat too because I think they're humans also. So go spend some time with those humans, build a relationship, figure out what their real needs are, and their real needs are going to be very practical. We don't, we can't ship software that includes a critical vulnerability. We can't ship software that can't scale. We can't ship software that doesn't have a disaster recovery plan. Right. So I see that a lot with different customers. You know, having those conversations is so, so critical. Yeah. And I think it really, when we had sort of the traditional application environment, the, the tier three application, three tier application environment, this made sense, right? You had your storage guys, you had your server guys, you had your app guys, you had your network guys, you had your security guys. That makes perfect sense. And, and then you have a ticketing system that would sort of spin up the storage, spin up the server and all that. Now this has to happen fast. Like you have to push a button and all this stuff has to go, right? So this requires a substantial change in the way that people do business. Ultimately, it's going to make your organization much more resilient, much more efficient, and and time to value of new applications is going to be enormous. But if you don't start with a plan, and if you don't think about first principles, then I think you're going to have a problem scaling out your container environment. Right. If you don't have the key stakeholders at the table and you don't have a plan to make sure this all works properly or you're going to have a less than resilient or less than agile environment where you're going to have to build everything, stop, log a ticket, wait four days, get them to deploy the big IP or provision a VIP or whatever it is. And that's just not agile. You know, Uh, you have to think about first principles in adopting containers and how you figure that out from a cultural change perspective. I'm glad you mentioned tickets because that is definitely one of those things that I poke at when I'm talking to different customers. It's like, okay, what, what is your ticketing system and how much do you love it? Right. Because people are like, they're, they're kind of married to it. And I don't understand why they feel they have to be married to it because it's a ticketing system. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're kind of married to it from a workflow standpoint. And sort of chain of custody is really important. Understanding that you're following policies from a security perspective, very important. 
But there's a way of doing that using some of the automation tools that we touched on, like Ansible or some of the other players out there. But, you know, Ansible, we've gone deep with. So I would pitch, I would promote Ansible uh, to help uh, make your environment more agile, but continue to keep your security posture hardened, you know? Exactly. And you'll, you'll see in some of the presentations I've delivered before where we, we actually have the ticketing system, but it's after the fact, meaning it's for the audit trail, right. the chain of custody, like you mentioned, because the automation did all the real work, not humans. And therefore, it filed a ticket to say, I did this, I did this, I did this. I've made these updates, and now it's part of the system of record. Absolutely. And what's marvelous is, obviously, individual organizations, there's a certain inertia there. It's going to take a while for people to make this transition, but it's happening. But the tools have all been built, right, between, you know, the work that F5 has done, some of the other players, Ansible and OpenShift. It's all there. The cookbook is all there. It's just a question of ramping people up on how to change this and make sure that, you know, you mentioned ServiceNow, integrating with ticketing systems. All of that st stuff has been created. It just needs to be more broadly adopted and people need to trust it. I love what you say there. The concept of trust and adoption is so critical. And I definitely see that in my own adventures, going out and talking to different customers, spending time with them. That is exactly what I always see. It's a matter of what I call the cultural change, the understanding, yep. the learning, the gaining of skills. And of course, everybody within an organization has a different learning curve and a different learning pace. So some of those organizational silos might get there a little more slowly, others get there a little more quickly. And if we could all have patience with each other and give each other grace, I think we could all get there better, faster together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's education required. I mean, uh, there's, there's going to be re education required and people are going to have to be accountable. It's new and people, obviously, some people are less uh, willing to embrace change. But I think the end result is going to be uh, a quite elegant uh, set of solutions that makes your IT organization much more efficient and uh, delivers faster time to value, which is what the business demands more than anything. We certainly live in a digital economy now where those digital assets and APIs, those new apps, if you will, yep. have to get out the door ever faster. Absolutely. Correct. Yep. So what if you had to kind of summarize key learnings, key takeaways, just something to kind of give our audience here like, OK, remember these key core elements. What would you uh, say in that category? Sure. I, I mean, the key core elements are consider availability of your applications. Consider your first principles in adopting containers. You shouldn't adopt containers just because it's cool. I mean, you can go on AWS or something, kick the tires and so forth. But if your organization is adopting containers, you have to ask the question, why? And I think most organizations will be able to articulate. And then secondly, architect properly. Look at your North Star, understand what your what your business goals are, and make sure that you're adhering to your policies in terms of security, application availability, failover, business continuity, all of those things that happen because the pra those practices sort of don't go out the door uh, simply because you've adopted containers. There's still data and there's still applications running on that platform and people need access to those applications, right? Depending on what business you're in. And I would say users expect those applications to be up, ready, always, yep. and of course, secure. Yep. Absolutely. And we all understand not only the financial risk of, of a hack or a security breach or something like that, but we also understand that the reputational damage could be even more extensive. So we, we need to sort of factor both of those things in. I'm glad you brought up reputational damage. There's definitely a situation where you'd rather not have your CEO forwarding you tweets, angry <laughs> tweets, <laughs> because somebody's data was leaked yeah. or the system was down and offline or, or, or something major had happened. 
because that does happen in our world at this point, right? If you're the application right. owner. Absolutely. Matt, thank you so much for our conversation today. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I thought there was a lot of great things to touch here. Like I said, we could have spent hours talking about many of these individual things, whether it be more aspects of security, more aspects of availability, more concepts of how to deal with the architecture in a cloud native world, how to enable that agility. So many things we could have focused on here, but I thank you for your time. It was absolutely fantastic talking to you. Great talking to you. You can read more about Red Hat's partnership with F5 at redhat.com slash code comments podcast. Many thanks to Matt Quill for being our guest and thanks to all of you for joining us today. This episode was produced by Brett Seminole and Caroline Craighead, and our sound designer is Christian Proham. Our audio team includes Lee Day, Stephanie Wonderlick, Mike Esser, Johan Philippine, Kim Wong, Nick Burns, Aaron Williamson, Karen King, Jared Oates, Rachel Ortel, Devin Pope, Matthias Foundez, Mike Compton, Ocean Matthews, Alex Trebolsi, and Victoria Lawton. I'm Burr Sutter, and this is Code Comments, an original podcast from Red Hat. Hi, I'm Jeff Ligon. I'm the Director of Engineering for Edge and Automotive at Red Hat. Even 10 years ago, the chaos of running hundreds and thousands of containers in a cluster, it didn't feel like you could go from that to running just dozens in a car. But these days, it's coming. In fact, containers are a big part of the future vision of software-defined vehicles. And look, if we can get the container revolution to work in cars, then everything a cloud-native developer can do today can apply to cars. This huge ecosystem of engineers can start to write applications for automotive. We can completely change the industry. This is why Red Hat's open-source approach to edge computing is so important. The way we collaborate, the way we build together, it's already making some pretty incredible things possible. Learn more about them at redhat.com slash edge.